side. How about everybody greet somebody around them? Nice high five or something. There you go. All right, I want to uh, welcome you again. And uh, just this morning, like we do every quarter, we want to give a brief missions update on some of the foreign missionaries we support regularly. And we're going to take a quarterly offering next Sunday morning, like we do every quarter. And so I just kind of want to remind you of some of the missionaries and give you a few quick updates. On uh, the next slide here, we've got our four main missionaries that we support quarterly. Uh, Dan and Georgiana Aikens in Romania. And they were here just the last couple months and gave a concert on a Sunday night, if you remember. And uh, it was great to hear from them. And they're expecting their first baby in June, so you can pray for Dan and Georgiana. I think it's June 23rd, and they've named him uh, Elijah. So you can pray for the Aikens. And also, when they were here last, they talked to some of the elders here about being their sending church. Their home church in Colorado is kind of shrunken down. There are about eight people now, something like that. So they, they've had a long-time relationship with us, and they've asked if we would consider being their ongoing sending church once that relationship with their church uh, comes to a close. So we're, we're excited about that opportunity on that relationship with them. Uh, Bob and Sue Cohen in Uganda, uh, Matt and Trista Deaver in Nepal, and Micah and Amy Tuttle in Peru, and I've got a couple updates on them. So if we could go to the next slide here. Last time in February, when I was up here, I talked about how we were going to send some extra funds to them to help construct this Bible school. Uh, it opened on March 6th down there, and they have initially have 14 uh, students and it kind of small to start but they're excited about it so this is what it looked like back in February and on the next slide here's the kids studying in it so that's pretty cool um, next slide here is another picture it's kind of dark but you can see this building complex there that they've built to do the Bible school I just want to share a quick email from Micah to us and uh, my son Jaden to complete his Awana book uh, this month our Wednesday night children's ministry called Awana he had, to do, he had to write to a missionary, and so he chose Micah Tuttle. They have lots of kids, and they have fun adventures in the jungle, so he thought it'd be fun to ask them his questions. And so Jaden sent him a message saying, Dear Mr. Tuttle, I need to ask a missionary four questions for my Awana program. Would you be willing to answer four questions for me? Where do you work? What do you do as a missionary? Has God turned anyone to Christ through you? Has anything exciting happened lately? Thank you for spreading the gospel out to the country of Peru. Sincerely, Jaden Klein. And he wrote back that day, which was pretty exciting for Jaden and for us to get that message back. And I just wanted to share that with you because it's kind of cool. And he said, where do you live? And he said, in the jungles of Peru. Our town is called Terrapoto and is located on the slopes of the most eastern finger of the Andes Mountains, just before you get into the flat Amazon basin. And to his question, what do we do? He said, our focus is fourfold. One, we help start and de are developing a church plant in Terrapoto. Two, we help start and are developing a Bible institute in Terrapoto. And three, we have adopted about 30 villages along the Hualaga River where I go in a circuit preaching and teaching the Bible. And four, evangelism. I try to share the gospel with everything that moves. Open air preaching, door to door Bible studies. Has anyone come to Christ lately? He said, yes. You can pray for two young men in Terrapoto that recently came to Christ. Their names are Kelvin and Guillermo. Both are 20 years old. And then to the question, is anything exciting happening lately? He said, lots of exciting stuff is going on. The Bible school starting up in our house has provided a lot of action. A recent river trip with lots of preaching, children's meetings, and strange foods was also an exciting event. 
And two days ago, I took the students on a seven-hour hike through very difficult terrain. Half the group got lost, others got sick, but in the end, everyone was all right. Very exciting, Micah Tuttle. So, kind of fun to get that message back from a missionary on the field uh, to your son, who's nine years old. On the last slide here from Micah, here's just a thank you from him for our gift to their ministry this last quarter. Brothers and sisters at Creekside, Amy and I want to express our gratefulness for the gift of $1,400 that you sent us through CMML last month. Thank you. This is a tremendous help and encouragement to us in the work here in Terrapoto. We have several construction projects that are going on at our Bible Institute. Your gift will help us finish them. Thank you for your support. That was on April 16th. So praise the Lord for that. Uh, in the next slide here, just a quick update on Matt and Trista Deaver. They just got their one-year visa renewed. So praise the Lord. That's something they've been praying about for quite a while. So just praise the Lord for that. Uh, we're also going to do a special project this time. Last time it was for Micah and Amy with the Bible Institute in Peru. This time it will be in Nigeria through Ireland Outreach International, who we've supported for many years, uh, through the Haven of Hope Hospital Construction Matching Grant. So in the next slide here, this is what the Haven of Hope is. They have a, an academy. It started out as a Bible school for 100 people, but it turned into uh, an elementary school for over 600 kids. So it's just, the Lord's just really blessed this effort through the vision of my Uncle Jim Gillette, who's been there a long time. And then uh, in the top right there, there's a little snapshot inside the hospital. It started out as a small clinic, and now they want to make it a full-blown 40-bed hospital. And it's some of the best medical care you can get in Nigeria. And people, diplomats, will send people from far away to this hospital there, the Haven of Hope, to get medical care. Uh, and so that's what we're going to send the funds to, because there's a matching fund going on right now. So every dollar we send in gets matched, and it'll help construct this hospital. On the bottom left, they have a full uh, water treatment factory there. They got equipment from a place in Colorado that donated a lot of it, and through the funds of believers, uh, they built this water treatment plant there. They also have uh, a drilling rig that they go around to the villages with and drill wells to get pure water because most of the people are infected there with uh, parasites. Um, and that's, that's been a great thing. I just saw an email update from my uncle. I got a daily update from him while he was there. And uh, they were in one village in Ghana. They also go to Ghana. And after drilling the rig, uh, drilling the well, and the clean water coming out, and the dedication of it, the, the people in this very poor village, they're very destitute, uh, and thankfulness, they gave him two chickens. Um, you know, and my dad remarked when I sent this email to the elders that, can, can we do better than two chickens and sending our gift to them? And I said, I don't know, because to this poor village, two chickens is probably quite a fortune, small fortune, uh, considering their poverty. So, uh, and then the bottom right, some of the school, a picture of the school. So just uh, pray for this next week. We're going to take that offering. And it's going to go help construct this hospital to meet the needs of the poorest of the poor out in Nigeria. Uh, I'm going to pray for that offering. We're also going to take an offering, two offerings here this morning. There's two offerings this morning and two offerings next week. The offerings this morning are the general offering and the building fund offering. And then next week, our general and missions fund offering. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the privilege of being a part of your work around the world here we are here in Urbandale in Des Moines, Iowa, uh, sending a gift out to your servants around the world who are uh, reaching people who are very poor, who are very needy, who are very spiritually needy, who need the gospel, the life-changing message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they might have hope beyond their destitute and their, their poverty. Um, so we just pray your blessing on the Akins in Romania, 
the Tuttles in Peru and, and through their ministry through the Bible Institute and for the Cohens in Africa. Um, and we just pray now for Ireland Outreach and their ministry in Nigeria. And we just thank you that that ministry is going on strong and reaching people and that the vision for it is growing. And we just pray your blessing over the construction of this hospital, that it might be a, a beacon, a lighthouse, a, a place that draws many for medical care, but also feeds them the truth of the message of Jesus Christ and how he can be their Lord and Savior and have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Uh, we commit our offerings to you this morning and for the building fund, and we just thank you for this great facility that we're in uh, a few years ago. What a blessing it was for many of us to come here for the first time, and, and now, Lord, to contribute to that. We just thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. that simple that you so desire a relationship with all of us in this room no matter how messed up we are no matter how we messed up this morning no matter how we've messed up in our past God you desire to be with us and that was made possible through Jesus that we are desperate for you that we are desperate for your forgiveness, that we're desperate for your grace, that every one of us is broken. Whether we've acknowledged that or not, we are broken, God. And so I just pray that you would find our hearts broken before you this morning, knowing um, that only you can put them back together. <laughs> and God, as we worship you, we come to the understanding that you do put us back together, that you make all things new, that you make broken things beautiful. And God loving you really is that simple, is that you can make us new. So Father, I just pray in the name of Jesus for freedom over every heart in this place today, that whatever hurt, whatever brokenness, whatever sin they're suffering with, God, that we would know freedom in Jesus <clears throat> to the oldest person in this room, to the youngest, that we would know freedom in Jesus, and that your spirit would heal this morning the hurt and the brokenness of the past and the shame that probably more than a few are sitting in this morning and the lies that we're believing from Satan, God. I pray that in the name of Jesus, that Satan would have no place here, no place in our hearts, no place to lie to us. We serve Jesus Christ. We serve Jesus, the most powerful name under heaven. And by that name, we know freedom. We know freedom. We know freedom. So God, all shame, all guilt, I pray that it is done away with this morning, God. We love you and we are desperate for you and we need you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. You can have a seat. Now I thought that, uh, that question was funny to Micah. What was the question mark? Like, has anything interesting happened lately or something with Micah? Now, if you know Micah Tuttle, dude's like, he does interesting. If there's nothing interesting happens, he creates interesting. It's like a hobby for his to go run after a wild boar in the jungle, kill it with his bare hands, eat its heart. I'm like, 
Okay, this interesting happens with this guy all the time. And uh, so it's pretty awesome. Question for you, how's it going occupying your street? You're going to feel like this is a broken record, but I need to say it every single week because if you're like me, you forget what the mission is, right? You go about your everyday life, you get lost in the, in the little details of everyday life and you forget what the mission is. So I got to ask every single week, how's it going? A little lesson for myself, I'm preaching this to myself just as much as I am to you, if not more to myself, but uh, a lot of times when we're occupying our street, we let fear drive us. Fear of rejection, fear of not knowing enough. And, and, and in all my years, probably the single biggest reason I have heard for not occupying your street or not sharing the gospel with somebody, not opening your mouth to share the love of Jesus with somebody, is that you don't think you know enough. Is that you don't think you have enough knowledge. Is you, you think that some, some, for some reason you've got to go to Bible school before you can love somebody to Jesus, Right? The word evangelize, I think the Bible uses the word everybody should do the work of an evangelist, right? Well, the, the, the word evangelize is kind of like an academic word, and it's scary because it sounds really official. So stop thinking of it like that and think of it like this. Every single day, all the people that I see, all the people that I talk to, how can I love these people today? Period. That's it. How can I love these people today? And here's the thing. If you're in the room and all you know, all you know is that you're a sinner and Jesus died for you for your sin, that's it. That's all you need to know. Because then you have what it takes to go out. You have the Spirit of God in you. You have what it takes to go out and love on a needy world, right? And yet we let fear come in and take over. That's all you need to know. But when you do that, then all you have to do is love on people and be ready to speak be ready to tell them why you're loving them. Be ready to tell them why you have hope. Be ready to tell them the why behind what you're doing and because they, they can't believe how loving you are to them even in their brokenness. That's all it takes to occupy our street. Somebody in our small group, they are occupying their street very well. Like literally, we, I mean, we say that your street is not only your neighbors. It's not only the street that you live on. It's where you work. It's where you eat regularly. It's where you get your hair cut. It's every place that you go on a regular basis. That's your street. But this couple is literally occupying their neighborhood. And their neighbor, early on in their relationship with them, their neighbor straight up just told them, anything that has to do with God, church, spirituality, I'm out. Like, I don't want anything. This is, that's not for me. I don't want it. When you hear something like that, to bring that back up in a future conversation can be really scary, right? But here's the deal. How do you think somebody feels when they know you have a message for them to hear, you share that message with them, and they reject it? What do they expect you to do? They expect you to give up on them. I'm telling you. That's what they expect. They expect you to give up on them. But when you keep coming back, and you keep coming back, and you keep coming back, even after they rejected the message that you have to bring to them, that speaks volumes to them about who God is through how you are treating them. And then somewhere along the way, you pray, Holy Spirit, lead me to bring this back up again. Keep my eyes open, keep my ears open for an opportunity to bring this back around to you, God. And then you bring it back around to God, and guess what? They might reject it again. 
But every time they reject it, what are they giving you? They're giving you ammunition. Don't see that as a bad thing. Don't see it, see it as a thing of fear. See it as ammunition, because every time they reject you, you get to come back. You get to come back. You get to love on them again. And every time you love on them after they have rejected your message, it brings them closer to the truth and the reality of who God really is, that God's never going to give up on them. And then you pray like crazy that they respond to that message of hope and love, right? That's all you need to know as you occupy your street. I heard this recently. Those who forgive, forgive. Those who are loved, love. Because the truth of the matter is when you really, and this is hard, okay? This is really hard for church people. I'm telling you, it's really hard for people who have grown up in the church. It's really hard for people who have been saved for a long time. It's really hard for people who have been in the church for a long time. You forget this. If you know and you really understand the basis of the gospel, how much God the Father had to love you to give His only Son for you, for your eternal salvation, when you really understand that, you go and you love. Loved people love. 2 Timothy 1.7 says this, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, of love, and self-discipline. In other words, when we give in to fear, okay, that is not us giving in to the Spirit of God. It's not us following the Spirit of God. It's, it's us giving in to our flesh. Because God did not give us that spirit of fear. It's the fleshly part of us. It's the natural, sinful, broken part of us that fears. And so how do you go about not giving in to the flesh. You starve it. You starve the flesh. It's like this. When God gives you something small to be faithful with, be faithful with it. Go and be faithful with that small thing, and then as you are faithful with that small thing, God will give you more to be faithful with. It's like practice. Practice makes perfect. Well, it does in this sense too, because if we starve the flesh, the natural, the sinful part of us, we will be feeding the Spirit. And as you listen and follow the Spirit once, God gives you more to be faithful with, and He gives you strength, and then you do it again, and then you do it again, and then you do it again, and you realize the power that I have is actually from the Spirit of God, and fear has no place in my life. And then you become an unstoppable force for the kingdom of God. I'm not saying you'll never be afraid, but God will give you the power to have courage to act in spite of fear. That's how we occupy our street. And you don't have to know any more than you know right now, except that God loves you so much He gave His Son for you. That's all you need to know. So go occupy your street with the love of Jesus. To grow in power, love, and self-discipline, you have to practice that. You have to practice that. You have to practice that. So, let's move on to where we are this week. Last week, move on to where we are this week. Last week, we talked about the fact that everybody is a murderer, right? Everyone is a murderer. The truth with God is that there is absolutely no sin scale. The eternal and spiritual consequences for hating someone in your heart are the same as actually murdering somebody. And Jesus is always after your heart condition. 
Jesus is more after your heart condition than what you do. But we know that when you change the way you think, when you let Jesus change you through the Holy Spirit from the inside out, it will change the way you live. And here's the freedom that's in it. Everybody is in the same boat. Everybody's in the same boat. We're all just as much in need of a Savior as the person sitting next to us. As our neighbor who we compare ourselves to and we say, as long as I'm better than that guy, I'm good with God. Well, it ain't true. Everybody's just as much in need of a Savior as the person next to them, which means judgment has no place, right? Grace allows me to love everybody, no matter what. And the Bible says that God's desire is for all people to be saved. And so nothing is more powerful than the cross of Jesus Christ. No sin is unforgivable. The only unforgivable sin that the Bible says is blaspheming the Holy Spirit. You know what that is? It's not believing in Jesus. That's it. It's not believing in Jesus. Everything else can be forgiven because of Jesus' cross. So today we're going to go a little bit deeper. John 10.10 says this, that Jesus came so that we could have life and we could have it more abundantly. And then in John 8 is recorded my second favorite story in the Bible. Okay, my first favorite, you should ask me about this sometime, uh, is the story of Gideon in the Old Testament. I'll tell you about that if you want to know. Love that story. My second favorite story in the Bible defines very clearly how Jesus did mission. Okay? This story in John 8 records, and I've used this before, all right, but you need to hear it again. It's the story of a woman caught in adultery. Now, I'm always curious in that story, like the woman is brought out to be stoned. Where the heck was the man? Right? What's the, what's the man doing? But by their law, the woman caught in adultery could have been stoned. The religious leaders bring her out. They circle up around her, and they all pick up stones, and they're about to stone her to death because of the adultery she committed with some man. Right? And she got caught. So by their law, they could have done that. They had the right to do that. But Jesus comes on the scene. Right before they're about to stone her, He kneels down and writes something in the sand. The Bible does not tell us what he writes in the sand, but it was enough to stop them in their tracks. And he gets up and he says this, Any of you who are without sin, go ahead. Throw the first stone. If you're without sin, go ahead and throw a stone at her. And one by one, they drop their stones because they know. I mean, these are the religious leaders. They know. If I throw a stone, I got, that's got hypocrite written all over it. So I can't possibly throw this stone because he just called me out on this. So one by one, they dropped their stones. And Jesus, remember, Jesus just defined who has the right to throw a stone at this woman. He who is without sin, right? Jesus, the only human being that ever walked the face of the earth that was without sin, had all the right in heaven and on earth to pick up as big of a stone as he wanted to and throw it at this woman. But he says to the woman, with all the compassion in the world, he says, look around. 
who is left to condemn you? Who has condemned you? And she says, nobody. Nobody's condemned me. And then the one man that has the right to condemn her says, well, neither do I. You are not condemned. Now, because you're not condemned, here's what I want you to do. You are not condemned. Now, go leave your life of sin. Why did Jesus say that? Jesus could have just said, you're not condemned. Now go on your merry way and be happy about that. He didn't just say that. He said, you're not condemned. Now go leave your life of sin. Because here's what Jesus knows, and this is what we need to get. Jesus knows that earthly consequences of sin are real. And earthly consequences of sin are destructive. And that is not the abundant life that God wants for us. Number two, and probably first and foremost, actually, is that sin is always and only an offense to God. That's just the way it is. It is an offense to God's holiness. And that's not what Jesus wants from his people toward his Father. He wants his people to walk away from sin. And number three is that sin always leads us away from God. Sin always leads us away from godliness. But the good news in all this is that God continually, because of Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross, God continually offers healing and restoration in Jesus for whatever you have done in your past. Sin is serious, but God continually offers grace and forgiveness. Raise your hand if you were part of, this would be two summers ago now, I believe, um, when we did on Wednesday nights the Andy Stanley Christian series. Raise your hand if you were part of that. All right. In that study, Andy Stanley lays out the, the beautiful tension that Jesus lived in between grace and truth. That there is this tension. This is one of the tensions. Humanity across the board hates tension. We always feel like if there's a tension in my life, I need to resolve it somehow, right? If there's a tension, one of the sides of that tension is negative, right? That's how we feel. And so we feel like we have to resolve that tension. But the tension that Jesus continually lived in between grace and truth is the one tension that we should never ever try to resolve. Because as soon as we try to resolve the tension between grace and truth, we lose something that is absolutely important to the essential living of the Christian life. You've got grace people. Here's grace people. Yeah, you sinned, but you know what? That's okay. Jesus loves you. All is good. Everything's all right. Grace people have a really hard time seeing the value of earthly consequences to sin. Grace people tend to just want the consequences to their sin to just float away and to disappear, right? I think we've all probably been in that boat at some time. And then there's truth people. These are the Pharisee type people. You might be a Pharisee if you're a, you're a truth person. By the way, my dad is here, all right? Right there, okay? Redneck defines it right there. I won't say any more than that. 
He had duck for breakfast. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's gross. All right. Joking. You might be a Pharisee if you're the letter of the law type person. You look at somebody's life and say, here's the law, you broke it, you're in trouble. Right? There is no grace with the truth person. Here are the rules, you broke them. Truth people do not offer forgiveness very easily. Truth people hold on to grudges. Truth people judge way too easily. But this tension between grace and truth, when you bring them together and you apply grace to truth and you apply truth to grace, all the negativity in both of those things goes away. This is what we're going to address today. If we land on the side of grace all the time, we are free to sin however we want. And guess what? The consequences of those sins in your life are going to be destructive. It's coming. I'm telling you. The consequences of sin are destructive. We can't run away from them. But on the other hand, if we land in the truth camp all the time, then we will always only sit in our guilt and shame and we will be paralyzed by the lack of grace and will never get up again and move into what God really has for us. Right? Jesus says you are not condemned. That's grace. Now go and leave your life of sin. That's truth. Let me put it another way for you. 10th Avenue North, they're a band. They're a pretty good band. Um, they wrote a song called The Struggle. And I love this. The chorus says, Hallelujah, we are free to struggle. We're not struggling to be free. Hallelujah, we are free to struggle because the struggle is real. Right, people? Hallelujah, we are free to struggle, but we are not struggling to be free. We are free in grace to be forgiven when we sin, but here's the deal. What else are we freed from? Because grace people just want to be forgiven and free from the consequences of that sin. But here's what else we're freed from. We're freed from our chains. We sing that song, Break Every Chain. That's what we really want God to do, but we, do we really believe that He is breaking those chains? Because what are those chains? Those chains are the chains of sin that hold us to live by the flesh and to believe Satan's lies. We have been freed from those chains. We have been freed from our sin. We have been freed from the vices that keep us stuck in sin. But now we're free because we no longer have to find the satisfaction in those sins. We no longer have to chase those earthly desires to be satisfied because we know that true satisfaction comes only from Jesus in a relationship with Him. So we don't have to go back to the computer screen. We don't have to go back to the bottle. We don't have to go back to our pride. We don't have to go back to our anger. We don't need to be satisfied in the sin of life because Jesus is ultimately satisfying in every area of life. Do you get what I'm saying? We're not only freed from sin, 
were freed to be free from the need to sin. So let's go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. Picking up right where we left off from last week. Page 1,829 in my Bible. Now you're lost. Three quarters of the way through the Bible. It's going to be on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, there might be one in a seat in front of you uh, underneath. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. You have heard that it was said, this is Jesus talking, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now let me stop there. This goes for men and women, okay? It goes for men and women, and we're all in trouble, all right? We are all in trouble. I don't know a man or a woman on the planet that has not been in this place, all right? So we're all in trouble. If, remember, this is Jesus talking. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And y'all like, what? Jesus said this stuff? That is hard to hear. The stuff that Jesus says is not supposed to be hard to hear, right? Actually, most of what Jesus said is hard to hear. This is one of those, uh, this is one of those topics where like, we draw straws on the preaching team to who doesn't have to preach it, but because I get paid, I have to. I'm just kidding. That's not how we do it. That's not how we do it. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 6.18 6, in the New Living Translation says this, Run from sexual sin. No other sin clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Now here's the deal. We've already said that, that with God there's no sin scale. Okay? So when God looks at our offenses and what separates us from Him, Right? It's not that sexual sin separates us from him more than non-sexual sin does. <laughs> but the Bible saying that to us is God completely understanding how humanity works. It is his gracious warning to us that I do not want that for you. Because I know how I designed you. Sexuality is a good thing. But when it's abused, I know that there is nothing else on the planet that will bring you more pain than sexual sin. So this is God's like gracious warning to us. I don't want any results of sin for you. I don't want any of it for you. But I know this one is extra hard. And I know this one cuts extra deep because it's a sin against your own body. But it's also no worse than any other sin. 
The truth is, I should be able to ask this question in this room. Because I hope, I hope, I pray that this is a place where people can come and they can know, no matter what my brokenness, no matter what my sin, no matter what my failure in the past, I am not looking back there. I'm moving ahead to the goal that God has for me. So I would hope that I could ask the question and have you raise your hand. I'm not going to. But I could ask the question, who in this room has committed sexual sin? Raise your hand. Don't do it. Who in this room has committed adultery? Who in this room has been divorced? By God's standards, we should all raise our hand, right? By heart standards, we should all raise our hand. But even in the physical, literal sense, we should be able to raise our hands when we come to truly understand the freedom that Jesus' death on the cross bought us to. When we truly understand that because of Jesus' death, this is how God feels about me right now, I should be able to admit it all. But, we live in a society and we live in a world where all of those kinds of sins, those kinds of sins are placed on a pedestal. And you know why? It's because Satan lies. Satan lies. Satan lies. It's so hard to walk away from the shame that is involved with these kinds of things because we are believing Satan's lies and they paralyze us. They paralyze us. We par they paralyze us. So whether you're here this morning and you've literally lived out these things, or if you've lusted after the opposite sex in your heart, you're in the same boat. You feel the same shame. Maybe not to the same level, but Satan will lie to you about it. You shouldn't have thought that. You shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have thought that. You shouldn't have done that. This is who you are. But it's a lie because it's not who you are in Jesus. To know freedom in Christ does not mean that we don't have to live with the consequences of our actions. But it does mean that God will give us the grace and the mercy to have the strength to live well through it. And somehow, I'm going to get more into this at the end, but somehow, this just blows me away about God. Is that somehow, in His graciousness and His mercy, sometimes, He causes the result of sin to become a blessing of the future. <laughs> Why? Because he says forget about the past and move to the future. Move toward the goal. And so I can take all of what that was and redeem it. And somehow out of our failure, he gives us blessings. I want you to write this down if you're writing anything down. If you're, if you're tuning into anything, write this down. Remember this. God's grace does not take away earthly consequences. It allows us to live well in the midst of them. God's grace does not take away earthly consequences. It allows us to live well in the midst of them. Verse 27 and 28 says again, You have heard it said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This points us again to the letter of the law versus the intent of the law. 
the eternal consequences of someone who lusts after the opposite sex and actually commits adultery with them are the same. But then it goes on, and it goes a little deeper. Verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than if your whole body goes into hell. Here's the deal. It's not like Jesus in that moment was passing out knives to gouge out people's eyes and saws to cut off their hands, right? That would be gross. He wasn't doing that. But here's the point he was making. Sin is serious. Even when grace abounds, sin is serious. And then he keeps going, grace abounds, grace abounds, but don't get lost in that, because sin is serious. Sin is serious enough that we need to take extreme measures to walk away from it. This whole thing right here is a purposeful overstatement by Jesus. He doesn't want you to dismember yourself. Right? That would be a bad interpretation of that. Don't do that. Okay? Jesus purposely overstates this because he's saying this, even things of great value should be given up if they are constantly leading you into sin. Because my eyes, I need them. My hands, I need them. Those are of great value to me. But if they're causing me to sin, take some extreme members, measures to get rid of those things. Romans chapter 6 says this, to make this point a little more. Romans chapter 6 at the beginning. It's on the screen. You don't have to turn to it. What shall we say? This is Paul writing to the Romans. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Why did he say that? Because his audience at the time were saying this. Hey, if grace abounds every time I sin and I put one and one together, then won't grace abound every time I sin? <laughs> like if the more I sin, it makes God look better because his grace abounds all the more. So why don't I just go on sinning so that God's grace can look all that much greater? And Paul says, next, by no means. You've got that wrong. Okay? How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of Life. This is Paul's argument from logic. He's essentially saying it makes absolutely zero sense to say that I've been given new life in Jesus and then sin on purpose. Because here's the deal. I'm so thankful for God's grace that God's grace abounds when I sin on a daily basis in my mind and in my actions, but I don't know I'm sinning. I can tell you this. I do countless things on a daily basis that fall in the category of sin, but I'm unaware of it. We all do that. But Paul is saying, on purpose, 
continual sin, while yes, it is forgiven over and over again, walk away from that. Because I don't want the consequences of that in your life. I don't want that for you. I'll take, it takes us back to that song, the struggle. Hallelujah, we are free to struggle, but we're not struggling to be free. It means it's, we're, I'm not struggling to do enough good things to be free in Christ. No, he's already given me freedom in Christ, so I'm free to struggle because he gives me grace with my struggle, right? So we have grace with the struggle, but the point is it should be a struggle. Why? Because at the moment you come to Jesus for salvation, he gives you the Holy Spirit to literally live inside of you. And now you have a spirit continually convicting you, not only allowing you to live by the power of the spirit to do amazing things for the kingdom of God, but one of the primary jobs of the Holy Spirit in our hearts is to convict us of sin because God does not want that for us. So yes, when we sin, grace abounds, but the Holy Spirit in us should be convicting us, and now we have this tear. We have the flesh leading us to sin, saying, I want that, I want that, I want that, I want that. And I think, because I'm believing Satan's lies, I need the satisfaction that that continual sin brings, and the Holy Spirit in me is saying, no, you don't have to go to that because of Jesus. You don't have to go to that. And so it should be hard. It should be a struggle. But with the Holy Spirit in our lives, God also promises victory because the ultimate victory over Satan and his lies has already been won. So that's where our hope lies. Verse 31 says, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the grounds of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. It's the letter of the law. The Pharisees would have been like, hey, uh, that's, that's enough. I'm good with that. I didn't, actually com- I didn't actually get divorced. I didn't actually commit adultery. I didn't actually do that. But I thought it all in my head. But for a Pharisee, it would have been enough just to say, I didn't actually do that. Let me give you a little background here. I'm going to scream through this because my time's almost up. In ancient times, Moses. Moses is the dude that, they gave, that God gave the uh, Ten Commandments to. If you ask anybody, like most, even people who are not church people, you say, hey, what's the law of God? And a lot of them will probably answer the Ten Commandments. This is the guy that... God gave the Ten Commandments to, to give to the nation of Israel who are the people of God in the Old Testament, right? Then Moses is a big deal. And in that day, in Moses' day, divorce became so widely accepted and widely spread that it became easy. A man could just say, boom, you out, we're divorced, done. Okay? So because of the hardness of their hearts, because of how often it happened, God said, no, I'm going to make it a part of the law that now, guys, you have to file a certificate of divorce. You have to give your wife a certificate of divorce, and on it you have to state a reason why you're divorcing them. And so it became harder for a man. God essentially put it in the law to make it harder for people to get divorced, right? Because if I have to write down a reason, I might look like a fool for the reason that I write down. If I have to write down a reason, it's going to make it harder, and I'm going to think twice before I just go and easily divorce my wife. So God made it harder, but here's the deal. It was not God's, because that's why Jesus says, you heard it say, give your wife a certificate of divorce, right? 
but it was not, and it has never been, God's original intention to be okay with divorce. (laughs) That's why Jesus says that. It doesn't come down to whether you give your wife a certificate or not. That's not God's original intention. God's original intention is that this covenant relationship stays together. In verse 32, he says, Whoever divorces his wife except on the grounds of immorality makes her commit adultery. But here's the deal. Why did he say that? Because marriage is the number one, the best relationship that we have to depict and to picture our relationship with God on this planet. Our relationship with God, from his standpoint, this is the way he designed it, is meant to be a covenant relationship unbroken. The first commandment in the Ten Commandments is, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Because God wanted to set it up that when, you have, when we have a relationship, you and I, it is not meant to be broken. So don't go after other gods. Marriage is the same way. That's what God meant to be in marriage, unbroken covenant relationships. So let's make it a little more personal. If marriage is a picture of our relationship with God, and the only way that somebody on a moral level is free to divorce their spouse is if that spouse is unfaithful, then God is the only being in the universe that has the right to leave us. We were the unfaithful spouse. We were the unfaithful spouse, and yet God said, I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving this relationship. Better yet, I'm going to give my son's life to heal it. I'm going to give my son's life to heal it. That should blow your mind. That in all of my brokenness, in all of my hurt, I mean, I have, I have looked at plenty of relationships in my life and thought to myself, I wish, I mean, that relationship is bad enough that I wish, this is not a good thought to have, but I wish that one of those, the man or the woman, would be unfaithful so I could give them an excuse to break up. Right? I mean, I had a friend who used to call me every about, about every four months, and they got, he got married, and all he would say to me on the phone is, Nick, this is not what I expected. I'm not happy. I'm not happy. I'm not happy. I'm not happy. And he would call me every four months, and I didn't ever give him the answer that he wanted to hear. I think he, always, he was looking for permission from somebody that he trusted. Just please tell me I'm allowed to divorce her. And so I told him, dude, I'm never going to give you permission to do that. You're never going to hear that from me. And then after I hang up, I, I, I have those thoughts again. I start thinking of the couples that I wish somebody would be unfaithful because we always want some reason to give them. Yeah, just break up with them. Break up with them. Get out of that. Get out of that marriage. But we don't want to give them unbiblical reasons, right? The point of the whole thing is that pain exists. The struggle is real. The consequences of sin are real. 
But even greater than that, greater than the pain that any of you in this room have felt because of any of what we've talked about this morning is the grace that God gives you to rise up from it in the name of Jesus because of the blood of the cross and walk through the rest of life without shame, without guilt, without condemnation and move on. The band is going to come back up. And we're going to spend some time just remembering Jesus. And this is what blows me away. This is what I want you to think of. And we're going to make it even a little more personal now. It amazes me. It amazes me how God can take our failures and give us blessings out of those failures. Because on topic... Get this. If you have had a kid, had a child inside of marriage, and then you got divorced, and you have those kids now outside of that marriage, or if you ever had a child outside of marriage, right? You might go back and wish that you had done things differently, but I guarantee you, you can't imagine your life without those kids. You can't imagine your life without that son or daughter. And somehow, God brought you a blessing that you would never give back. Ever. If you're divorced and you're remarried, you can't imagine your life without your current spouse. And you would never give them back. You wouldn't change your circumstances now. Somehow, out of our sin, out of the earthly consequences, out of it all, God is saying to us in so many ways, look at the cross, look at the cross, look at the cross, look at the cross. Because at the foot of the cross, you can leave it all here and somehow, all the earthly consequences to those actions, I can, if you allow me, turn them into blessings in your life. That's a compassionate God. That is a gracious God. That is a good God. And so we can, in these next moments, worship and remember Jesus on the cross because we are completely free from the guilt and the shame that our past actions lay on us, that Satan continually reminds us, you're no good, you're no good, you're no good, you did this, you did this, you did this. So let God free you from those chains this morning. Let God's grace abound. And now, let His Holy Spirit empower you to live well into your future. Let's pray. God, we, wanna, we just want to be in your presence and whatever we've got right now, you take us as we are. But God, I pray that we would take your grace upon us and say, thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Now give me the power of the Spirit to walk in a life worthy of the kingdom of God. You've given us that freedom. You've freed us from 
shame and guilt. So help us to sit in freedom this morning and help us to think about, God, all the blessings that you have poured upon us, even out of our failures. So we worship you, Jesus, now. Thank you for your death on the cross for us. In Jesus' name, amen. The blood of Jesus speaks for me. Be still, my soul, redeeming love. Out of the dust of Calvary is rising to the throne above. Jesus, just thank you so much for this group of people, Lord. And I know as we hear a message like that and we wrestle through the word and we wrestle through words you say, Lord, and as we feel hurts and pains ourselves, Lord, as we struggle through our own struggles, Lord Jesus, we just praise you that you forever have won, that you forever have won over our hearts, you forever have won over our eternities, Lord, so no matter what the struggle is, no matter what the pain is, no matter how deep it is, Lord, you win. So we just praise you as we leave here, as we sing this one more song, as people are walking out, Lord, I, I pray that, that you would reign in us, that we would live for you completely, Lord, and that you would send us out to love and serve you to all those that don't know that there is salvation for the lost and the hurting. In your name, amen.